get rolling. We got the yes. clap going. Yeah. Uh, we're in a new studio. This is the nicest studio we've ever been in. It's ours is a little bit. It's a homey one. We have a little kitchenette and everything because it's his house. Uh, yeah. But this is um, this is awesome to be here in the Mastery Labs with Dr. Michael Gervais. Thank you so much for giving us the time today. Stoked to be here with you guys. Yeah, okay. cool. Second you're, and your second time. Yeah. The, you're at, in your studio, it was, it was cool. Like, so I don't, I don't, I mean, this is nice. It's professional in that way, but like you've got a right, the right vibe for you guys. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's fun to go around and see what other professional podcasters do. Just I was, when you were uh, sending that email over there, I was like, what cameras are those? What's the setup back here? What's the, what, what notes can we take? And just to see how we can always improve what we're doing. Yeah, there, there's no secrets. Like, it, uh, we're happy to to, yeah. to give you that list or behind the tour. Exactly. There are some things that do make it easier. And so having those tools is definitely a good yeah. investment. How many years have you been doing the Finding Mastery? I think we're on eight. I think this is eight. Awesome. Yeah, wow. potentially we might have slid into nine. But, um, yeah. When you started it, did you have any expectations of where – you wanted it to go how far you wanted it to go because once because for us we started it because he was sort of bored and sick with an autoimmune disease and now we're on year seven we're like we're now known as the podcast guys like he's you not definitely even known as the olympian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seriously i definitely get i mean it's more for volleyball when people come to me but yeah like totally people come up all the time just that just about the podcast yeah or with our books yeah overseas like having a signed book i'm like what is going what? on yeah <laughs> that's also, like, yeah I, I have to like tell them like i know i'm an author but like travis is an actual author who writes <laughs> so like don't give me too much credit <laughs> yeah right that's so good uh, no the first year it, it, the or, original idea was the stories that and the life experiences that people have shared with me as a sports psychologist are incredible. And it always felt like we were trapping magic inside the, just the, you know, the room that we're having the conversations in. And I never, I ha to date have not had an athlete on the podcast that I've worked with, but our friend in our community has, what is that? Sounds like, uh, Someone's blowing a conch shell or something. <laughs> Is that outside? Yeah. Might be a foghorn. Or that that wouldn't we're too far inland for that. You can right? hear it, right? No, I know. Oh wow. That's <laughs> crazy. Okay, there we yeah. go. Trust us, it's there. <laughs> it's there. Where where was it? Um uh, you've never had someone that you're working with. Okay, on I'll the just podcast. pick it up there. Yeah. I haven't had an athlete that I've worked with on the podcast, just to kind of separate the two and and to be very clear that my relationship you, with you is professional. It, it, you know, it's not about the podcast or, or sharing your story. But I, the stories are so amazing of what people go through, what they deal with, the baggage that they're carrying, the, the weight that they feel on their shoulders, yeah. the ambitions, the unreasonableness yeah. to design their life a certain way. And that's so inspiring that um, I, I just wanted to celebrate people that go for it. Yeah. And that's how we started. And so it was friends of friends and you know, that that's how it started. And then, you know, eight or nine years later, here we are. Yeah, so it's cool. It's so fun. And then you have a book. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. So I know you did you did an audible book with Pete Carroll. That's right. right? Head but coach of the ever, Seahawks. Was that ever in print? No. We we have the rights to put it in print. Okay. And um 
there's just something really nice and pure about the audio form, mm -hmm. and we, we never converted it. So this is the first. This, technically, that's not a book. What it's called an audible original. Okay. Not a book. It's a weird, okay, got it. a weird thing. So technically, this is my first book. Okay. Congratulations. Their Thanks. books Thanks, are, are mighty undertakings. Aren't they, though? <laughs> Huge. Like, I know you know. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's really hard, you yeah. know? And I'm not a writer. So you wouldn't know it. Yeah, thank you. Did a great I, job masking that. Kevin, uh, <laughs> Kevin Lake, who's um, helps with the book, he's on the cover as well. He took that that raw clay and was able to stitch mm. these loosely thread ideas together in a way that the reader could go, "Oh, <laughs> this isn't as clunky as Gervais talking," you know, <laughs> like yeah. So, but it originally, if I'm not mistaken, it originally was based off of an article you wrote that you got a lot of good feedback off of. So right? I wrote. A three is like a two or three page article mm -hmm. for Harvard Business Review. And 12 months later, they rang me up and they said, hey, you touched a nerve. That article was the number one downloaded article every month for the last 12 months. Wow. Let's go. Wow. And I thought, OK, that's cool. So it's not yeah. just me yeah. with this. This is really about something I grew up with was overwhelmed by, which is the fear of people's opinions. And right. this I can explain all that in a bit. but. Then when I was working with Best in the World um, across multiple sports, it kept showing up as well. There was no name for it, but it was, I don't want to let people down. I don't want to look stupid. Yeah. Like like going for it's hard for A, B, and C reasons. And we are social beings mm -hmm. and we are biologically wired to fit in. And so belonging is safety. Being pushed out of the belonging is very, very dangerous to our, our, our existence, if you will. And so... Those intrepid elite performers that are really going for it out on the edge, part of their biology is if they're healthy. This this book is not for the narcissists and the sociopaths, and you know it's not for them. Right? <laughs> but if you're really healthy, you you're aware that um, rejection is a near death sentence some 200,000 years ago. It is not now. Hmm, right. So we've got this ancient brain in modern times. Now rejection actually can point you to something that is um, a tribe that's closer to what you believe in or want to be part of. Right. But 200,000 years ago, rejection meant, like if the three of us were in the tribe, whatever tribe it is, yeah. and let's say that um, they trusted us to go gather something or chop some wood or right. hunt or whatever it might have been, and we blow it. And the elders pull us aside and say, all right, you three. We trusted you. You came back with broken arrows. Our tribe now is hungry. We're going to give you one more shot. But you better you better perform at the right level now. We're, we're really counting on you. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, okay. And we go out and say we come back and we blow it again. Or we come back with very few bounty, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they might just say, look, we, 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 they might just ostracize us. They might just kind of marginalize us. They might even push us right out. And it's too much to fend and forge and fight and hunt and gather and take care yeah, of each other. Nothing, uh, Just the three of us? Yeah. I mean, you guys, I feel sorry if you're having to bet on me out there. <laughs> you got no females. <laughs> yeah, Just right, yeah. no females alone might be a problem. <laughs> that might be a problem too, right. And so, so, that, so that's why our brains are so tuned to checking in with others. Am I okay? And if we're not careful, the brain is so powerful that it will win. But to live the good life, that part of the brain can't drive the whole system. 
So the good life has to do with some freedom and some joy and some right. some sense of like being you and your very best at the risk of looking stupid, falling down, letting people down, blowing it, mm-hmm. failure, mistakes. Right. And we say often in business and in sport, listen, failure is the greatest teacher. Fail fast, fail forward, fail off and learn from your mistakes. Blah, blah, blah. That's intellectual. Your brain and your emotional system is saying, yeah, no, 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 don't buy any of that. Because if you keep blowing it, they're going to look at you a certain way. And if they keep looking at you that way, you're probably going to get kicked out. Right. And that is our emotions and our biology and our hard wiring, if we're not careful, I'll say it again, runs the show. And that's why I just want to ring the bell to say your brain doesn't have to run the whole thing. You've got this other part of you, your mind. So the mind is the software, the brain is the hardware, oversimplifying a very complex you know, thing. I like that separation though. Yeah, it's, it's good for like trying to understand it, but they're not really separated. You know, I like it too, because it can give us a way to talk about it. Right. However, we believe right now that um, mind and brain is fully enmeshed and you know, it's called in- embedded cognition. But Descartes pulled the two apart, you know, and said, hey, there's a brain and a mind. And, let's, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's a good mechanism to talk about them. And the brain is the hardware. The mind is the software. My software was as patchy and buggy and <laughs> holy <laughs> as you can imagine, like growing up with my knucklehead friends and yeah. the way my parenting, you know, my parents and family and neighborhood. I needed a lot of work on my mind. My brain was good. But my software yeah. was patchy. And so I had to invest in it to, to be okay in life. And then I found such power in it that I kept studying it. Where did right. you start working on that software? And when you, how did you even identify that you, you needed to work on that software? Because when you started, that was really at a time when mindfulness, psychology, that was kind of like quack science, mm-hmm. not that long ago. We're sort mm-hmm. of in this modern day revolution where we're understanding the power of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But when you got onto that, you were way ahead of your time. You know, yes and no. I think that if, I think it's always been part of the pursuing of excellence or mastery or high performance. It's always been there. Like if we went back, so my first beginnings was in 1985. And I was a young kid surfing. And there's two types of surfing, as you guys know. There's core surfing and competitive surfing. Uh-huh. Core surfing is like just put yourself in the pit, in the in the spot, and don't talk about it. And if you talk about it, you're kind of a kook. <laughs> you know, just like live it, know it. So there's a purity so to there's it. There's always that friend in the group where the paddles back out and he's like, Hey bro, how'd that turn look? <laughs> Did I throw lots of spray? They're like, bro, we don't care. Yeah, Shut right. Up. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Exactly. But so we that, all kind of want to look cool on the waves yeah, at the same time. hundred yeah. percent. Right. And so, so that's that core surfing. And then competitive surfing is there's a bunch of people on the we- on the beach judging and right. critiquing and, yep. you know. And so I couldn't translate the two. I could do the core thing because there was like. No one judging, and it wasn't cool to even talk about it. So there's safety in that. Right. Danger, potentially sometimes in a wave of consequence, yeah. but safety in, in the emotional piece to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as soon as I would <laughs> try to competitively surf, I, had the, I was 
15 and this guy paddles by me. It's beautiful conditions. It's, a, it's right here locally. It was about six foot waves, three of us out, 7.30 in the morning, something like that. And this guy paddles by me and he goes, Gervais, I surf with you every day out here. You got to stop worrying about all the things that could go wrong. And I've told this story enough, but it's, it's like, that's where it happened, where I said, oh shit, how does he know? How does he know? How did he know that? Oh shit. I didn't even know that all I'm thinking about is like slipping on the downturn, you know, missing the, missing the, da, 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 da. like the whole thing was a disaster that the movie that I was playing. Mm -hmm. And so he paddled off. He did not like a good competitor. He didn't tell me what to do. <laughs> right. He just basically pointed out that I was a mess. <laughs> and so I said, okay, okay. So what, what's a better way to start thinking? And so I just flipped that around and thought, well, let me think about what I do want to have happen. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yeah. But as a 15-year-old kid, it's like, oh, it was the <laughs> there's something I can do. And the so match in the forest fire. That's it. The forest fire, right? It, like yes. It lit the match. It lit the match. And I didn't know it at the time. But in that moment, I was like, whoa, my surfing just got better. I didn't know. What I didn't know is that there was a, a discipline of psychology. I didn't know there was a sub-discipline that was just emerging called sports psychology. But if, if we were all around that neighborhood and that type of experience and we asked our elders how important is the mental part of surfing or volleyball or football or whatever, the ones that know would say, oh, yeah, yeah. At this level, if it's a you know, high level, right. at this level, you know, everyone's got the physical. Everyone's got the technical. But the ones that have the mental, those are the ones that really do something special. Mm -hmm. So it's always been there. Mm -hmm but there was a taboo around it. We still have some taboo. It's still there, but what's way better, isn't it? Yeah, it's, that taboo is eroding oh, yeah. in it's, a hurry. I think. Yeah, I love that word. That's a really good word. Yeah, it really is. And so it takes folks like you, you know, the cool kids to say, um, yeah, get over it. Yeah. The mental part of being great at anything is really important. So what do you mean you're not working on it? Right. Like, really, what do you mean? Yeah, 100%. But 25 years ago, you raise your hand like, hey, how do I work on my confidence? And the people around you be like, oh, we got a weak one coming. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> Like, let me tell you, I'm going to sit right next to you in the lineup, dude. Yeah, exactly. And if you can't figure it out, yeah. maybe you maybe you don't belong. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like there was, now, now we know confidence is trainable. Yeah. How about that? Confidence is trainable. I like that. Isn't that, and it's yeah. not hard. Mm -hmm. I had a, yeah. a similar moment in my life or my career as well. It was just like one, one game in high school where I remember I decided, because I just, I just been obsessed. I love professional athletes, sports. Those are my heroes growing up, you know, like anyone. Jerry Rice, Brett Favre, all those guys. And I had one game where I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to play my best game ever. And to me, that meant just going harder. I'm going to whatever, prepare, I'm going to warm up hard. I'm just going to play my best game. I decided it. And it was my worst game ever. Mm. And I was just like, what just happened? I tried harder. I did everything harder and more, and it backfired. That and cool. that kind of sparked mm -hmm. it for me, being like, what just happened? Like, And I, I think I remember I had the my, right coach, thoughts. my coach yeah. at some point being, try. He's like giving everyone their direct whatever, whatever they're doing post, right post or wrong. Game. Try. Stop thinking. And this is it. I was like, stop thinking. You know, like that kind mm. of, I feel like from there, I always like was 
in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, where's my head at? I don't want to play that. I don't want to do that thing again where I'm, I get lost or whatever, you know? And I kind of did it on my own through college and really like, I didn't start studying it or listening or l reading books until around then. Like, Inner Game of Tennis was introduced to me around the end of college. What years is this? Um, 2011, I graduated. And then I remember um, reading Agassiz's book, Open, when I f went and played in Turkey overseas in 2012. And just, like, picking up all the books from there. And then mm -hmm. soon after, your podcast actually came out. Oh, I found cool. your podcast. Oh, cool. I remember yeah. you. You spoke at SC at some point yeah. to the boys who were after me, and then they told me about your story. I was like, who's this guy? Oh, wow, that's crazy. I heard about the pod, and I was like... Did they tell you I walked out? Of the... Yeah, of the at speech? SC. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Oh, my Maybe. God. Yeah, so... Um, Phil Ferguson says, hey, you know, come on in, and like... So this, that was a coach, Yes, right? that was my coach, yes. Oh, Bill was your coach? Yeah. So he... Okay, so, he, so we must have just missed each other. Yeah, I think you came in like the year after maybe or something, like after. 12. Okay, so wait, you already graduated? I graduated in 2011. Yeah, okay, okay, so it was uh, one or two years. And, and then the guys the previous year, I was talking with them, and they said that you had come in. It was like, I couldn't believe what I was feeling. So I'm coming in, I'm like, oh, you guys, I think you they won or were... They were runner-up. Runner-up, right? yeah. And um, so the chomping at the bit, all the talent is there, and it felt like that was maybe an underperformance, you know, like it, it, mm -hmm. it, the, the raw clay was all there. Right. Okay. So um, Bill says, Hey, come on in. I think it was the year. I think we had just won the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. okay. And so it was really palpable. What a culture that is great feels like our culture at the Seattle Seahawks was during the, our, our, um, our first year was unbelievable. Yeah. It was so connected. Pete actually had that book. Compete, I think it was called, right? Around that time. I remember reading it around then. So that was our shared book, Compete oh, to Create. Were, yeah, that was shared. That was our shared book. Compete to Create. Compete to create was our audio. That was the audio Wait, original. Was his one before that? So he had one called Win Forever. Oh, it was. And that, that was okay. his print Sorry, book. That was the one I read, yeah. Yeah. We will get right back to the podcast in a moment. But first, have to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Wilson. They've been with us since day one. They make the absolute best balls on the beach. Absolutely zero question about it. And it is that time of year. Training camps are starting back up. We're starting to get back out on the beach in California, anyway, in Hawaii, in Florida, anywhere you have a beach facility. The preseason reps are starting to roll around, which means it's time to get a new bag of balls. All those tattered ones we had in 2023, it's time to replace them with some new Wilson balls in 2024. And the best news you get 20% off all Wilson products when you use our discount code SANDCAST-20. Again, that is SANDCAST-20 to get 20% off all Wilson products. Best balls in the game. Go fill up your new bag, your new Wilson bag, with some new Wilson Optics balls and get out on the sand. Now, taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for the last, I don't know, four, five, maybe six years, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions, on the road, at home, doesn't matter. It comes with me everywhere I go. It's just one scoop. You mix it in water once a day, every day. It makes me feel awesome. I rarely, if ever, get sick, and that's because one serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and post, pre and pro biotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple, and it's why I just continue 
sticking with it. Now, I take my AG1 in the morning right before I work out. I throw a little creatine in there as well, or right after I work out when my body's just wanting all these vitamins and minerals. It's the best, it's the number one whole supplement you can take, and it's cheap. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. That's why Sandcast continues partnering with them. This is our third year. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free, 100% free, one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Now that is exclusively at drinkag1.com slash sandcast. All right, that's drinkag1.com slash sandcast. So check it out. And um, so I come in, I'm like, okay, so it was going to be like a season-long type of engagement, in, infrequent, but at least an engagement. And I asked, um, I was sharing some things and just kind of getting it going. One of my rules when I when I speak to a team or or in any way is that I'm very clear that I need to give something before I ask for something. Mm -hmm. But I do want to get into an exchange and a conversation more than like just a one-way mm -hmm. thing. And so I was giving of myself in a way that I was wanting to be in it and I was sharing some of my my approach and my journey and some of my scar tissues. And, and then so I pause and I asked a question and it was crickets. Okay, that, sometimes that happens, no problem. So I, I adjust a little bit, and um, I ask another question. It's crickets. I said, oh, maybe I'm really off. So I go internal first. I'm like, maybe I'm like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I sh share something else, and then I kind of pivot over to a new kind of topic, and I ask another question. And, and like I'm looking at 20-some. Like yeah. How many athletes are on the team? 20-some? Yeah. Yeah, sure. 20. 18? I yeah, don't yeah. know. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and, and for a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there's like... They're just kind of slouched, reclining, like not interested mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And I looked over at coach and I was like, Bill, there is nothing here for me. And he goes, what? What? And I said, I look back to the team and I was like, guys, like out of all due respect, you know, you are one of the best programs in the league. I think you know it all. I think you know exactly what it takes to win and you don't need me because there's zero energy in this room and I've made a promise to myself that I'll never work harder for an athlete's well-being and high performance than they're willing to work mm. so I'm feeling that right now yeah I wish you guys all the best huh. and um Bill was like oh shit <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's like I should ask questions yeah no 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 Bill was on it I think he knew yeah got it I think he knew that there was a thing happening there huh and um do you know what happened like how did they do that year? Yeah. They like lost say in the national championship in Galen Center. Was that in 2013-14? No. Oh, you, um, that was 2012, the year after I left, when they okay. still had Tony Torelli. Yeah. And Micah Christensen, who's our indoor national team setter. Yeah. Still to this day was a freshman. So, so they went so to he Cincinnati. would have been there. Yeah. And then they lost to Irvine, I think, in the national championship in Galen. But they weren't expected to be there, not really, because they lost my recruiting class, which we oh, were stacked. Yeah, got it. And we had choked the year before. Oh, you did? Quite honest. Yeah, we were number one all year. Uh, we had like one, two losses maybe going into the final four, and we lost to Santa Barbara in the conference finals and the um, 
Final Four. But it was, that, it's another like moment in my mind that stood out because I'm always I was kind of focusing on myself a lot and like staying in my zone because I knew I had a good feeling of where my head I played best in my own head, and I didn't have to worry about the team because mm-hmm. I was a little bit more of a role player. And in that match, the Final Four one, everything fell apart. The whole team fell apart. But I had my best match ever. Oh wow! And that's happened multiple times. But I remember it just being like, just stay here, try. You know, just stay <laughs> yeah, here. Right. And at one point, Riley came to me. He's like, bro, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going to set you. I'm like, okay. Yeah, how great like, is that? I'm not yeah. going to leave. That part, yeah. I see the storm happening around me. I'm like, I'm not going to leave. Just stay here. And so I, like, had my career high in kills and, like, still ended up losing because they just didn't have the team, you know, gelling. But yeah, um, that actually stands out as another moment that was, like, learning for me. Like, oh, wow, like. As long as I stay here, like I get to control like where my head's at and all that. Yeah, once you start knowing the dials, it becomes so much easier, you know, to yeah. be able to um, play in that that type of space, yeah. that zone. You know, as we sometimes talk about, like once you know what the dials are for you and how to how sensitive the dials are, or how yeah. blunt they are sometimes. Right. Like you can you can just play with those dials to stay in that place. Yeah. And early on, it feels like oh, I'm here. Okay, don't fuck it up or whatever. And then before you know, and then you're out, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But like once you start to play and practice with those dials, you find your, that you're you slip into that space more, more often. Yeah. 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 But it's not on command. Right. It's not on demand. It doesn't work that way. No. We need to be able to position ourselves for this on purpose accident to happen. Like you're trying to create the accident of slipping into that space. Right. But if you can just be there. In the precondition, which is a very agitating place, yeah. if you can be there long enough, slip in. And in that agitating precondition, you're still in a really good performance zone, mm-hmm. you know. But it's not that zone, right? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. It's like you're trying to be like right at that middle baseline, and like you know that you're you're a wave, you know. So it's like it's gonna be big and small. Like every once in a while, like you'll like link up with oh, it is that how that's the imagery like, you use yeah, yeah that's, that's cool imagery but yeah it is funny to think of it like if you always feel like you're like error correcting it's like steering it's a, a canoe yeah it's very hard to st- it's the best steersman know when to start correcting before you get to where you're pointing aiming where you want to go i guess sailing's probably similar uh but like you can't overcorrect too much or like you're like, oh, I need to go even further left, and then you go too far and you spin out. That's it. You yeah. know, it's like uh, it is interesting that it, it's a you're trying to like, what did you say? Like error into into doing it. Like uh, on um, error on purpose. Um, <laughs> what did I say, a purpose. What did I say? It's like <laughs> you were kind of waiting for this accident on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, and on purpose. Yeah. Like it, it because you slip into it. Yeah, and you don't get to choose when you that's right. when you're there. That's exactly yeah. it. But you can but you can manipulate all of the right dials like self-talk, breathing. You can do all of that framing of like the the challenge. The the framing of the challenge is actually the biggest one. So if the you so know, awareness, right? Like that's where the awareness You need awareness out. first for anything. Right. So that's one of mindfulness being one of those tools. The whole the whole thing starts with awareness. That's ground zero. Without awareness of how you're doing on the inside or how awareness of how the external world is doing its thing, right. we're always kind of 
half step late, you mm -hmm. know, but yeah. so it starts with awareness. And then like, I'll be dramatic for a minute. If, if I don't know how thought one and thought two work together to create emotion A or B, like I'm just playing this downstream game of only looking at the tangible, which is my performance or my behavior, and I'm missing the feelings and thoughts part of it, I'm always working downstream. So if you want, I'm using your, your canoeing, uh -huh. going upstream is way more powerful. And so if you can understand, so that the basic science is thoughts and emotions, let me be more precise, thoughts and feelings and emotions, those three together impact your behaviors. Those four together impact your performance. So if you're only looking at behaviors and performance, like where are my elbows or mm -hmm. you know, how's my footwork, it's good. We need it. Right. That's the bottom-up approach. Mm. But if it's only a bottom-up approach and not a top-down, meaning awareness of your thoughts and feelings and how to work with those, it's only part of the equation. Mm. So that's when you get the top uh, the, the bottom up and the top down working together is kind of you, you, the person is at the seat of those controls. And a coach can only observe the, the observable, mm -hmm. which are, is like the movement stuff, right? right? And then we all coach or psychologists need to ask. So tell me about what you are feeling. Tell me about the thoughts that you're going into this. And there's a long narrative of kind of how the physical and non-physical two worlds work together, mental and physical, to say the way that you're framing something, and framing is a, like just like you put a frame around a picture, like how are you, how are you capturing the, the challenge ahead of you? If you go, fucking right, they're good. <laughs> Let's right. fucking bring it. Yeah. You know, or if you're going, oh man, I think he's got a step on me. Like he's got, I think he kind of knows that my right. left side and like, I hope they don't pick on me on this. Like, Whatever you think, you're right. You're, kind of thing, yeah, right? yeah. But the way you frame it, if you're seeing it as a challenge, let's go get it. Or if you're seeing it as like, man, I don't want to blow this thing. This feels a little too big. Right. Just that simple little thing changes your entire psychology. Right. That's where I love an example in the book that comes to mind is with the three golfers, Ricky Fowler being oh, yeah. the oh, pro. Yeah. And then you had the, the club pro. Sort of, and then you have your amateur and Ricky Fowler. Once they bring the camera out, club pro, he gets a little stressed. Mm -hmm. Ricky's yeah. like, I've seen cameras before, and the other guy's like, Oh, this sounds kind of fun. I got a camera, yeah, watch me putt. Yeah, right. The amateur is like, but, Whatever. Yeah. But Ricky, he makes, I think, 15 out of 18. Mm -hmm. I think that one. And when I forget, did you, were you talking to him mm -hmm. or were you I researching did. this? Okay. No, I asked him, like, and he said, I hit 17 good putts. That's right. And you're like, Oh, well, you made 15. He goes, yeah, well, I hit, I hit 17 good putts. Two of them just didn't go in. So he had that top down where mentally he was very satisfied with the putts he made. Mm. They just didn't happen to drop, and he wasn't going to beat himself up if it lipped out. Isn't that cool? It was, I, I love that. Isn't I that thought cool? that was awesome. Yeah. Hmm. There's a similar um, – it's a little folklore in my mind just because I don't know Bodie Miller um, and one of the great downhillers in, in snow. His wife played vo beach volleyball, actually. Is that right? Yeah. He used to be on tour. I mean, he was in the player's tent a lot. He was. Yeah. So maybe maybe <laughs> find like a way to good. ask him, mm -hmm. you know, if this is true or not. Uh, one of my good friends is on the science team for the team, so I, I heard it second or third hand. But this idea that um, in one of the, his last games, and he never medaled 
at the Olympics, but he gets he does his thing because he always puts it on edge and like really goes for it and he wants an honest run, not yeah. just a run to medal, according to the narrative I've received here. And he gets to the bottom, slides in, big snow kind of cloud, that, that moment, you know, the bells and the horns and all that stuff is going. And he takes a moment and he, he kind of like runs the, a few corners in his mind and he's nodding his head like, yeah, I honestly put both of those corners or whatever the, the corners were on edge. Like, yeah, that's a good run. And then he looks up at the board and he's in first place, you know, and, and he's like, yeah, all right. So that idea that you use in like an honest calibration mm -hmm. first for, for maybe for you, like, did I make game point podium moment or not? Say right. you're, you know, for first or for fourth, something like that. Those yeah. two different games, by the way, the playing for third is heavy. Yeah. Let's use that one for a minute. <laughs> And so, um, and let's say you are, um, let's say you're down by two, okay? And, and you're, it's, it's almost going to be closed out, but you're serving. Um, did you make an honest contact on your serve? Right. Right? Or did you just float it over? Only yeah, you yeah, yeah. kind of know. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the rest of us might, but there could be a wind adjustment that happened that you had to adjust for yeah. that. And, you know, but did you really honestly... Go for it and find that window to put, make an honest contact to put it close to the tape or whatever the yeah. the drink. Only we really know. Yeah. And that type of internal calibration of honesty is 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 a prerequisite to be on the path of mastery. Mm -hmm. And the path of mastery is very different than the path of high performance. Very different than the path of excellence. Those are more metallic and having. They're more pedestrian to me. Mm -hmm. But the path of mastery, there's a contour and a warmth and a, um, um, the, there's an honesty that is different. Not that you don't have honesty in those other two, but there's a different foundation for the path of mastery. Is mastery all internal? No, no, no. I think, I love the question. I think it's multidimensional mastery of self and mastery of craft. Mm. So the craft is mostly external. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then self is mostly internal. The interesting thing about in in both in both self and craft, there is internal and external. And I'll explain this. Like mastery of self, it'd be fun to hear what you guys think about like what that is before I ramble even further. But <laughs> the emotions that we've have, so we have thoughts and feelings and emotions. Okay. So emotions are observable. And they are public mm -hmm. and they are concrete and you can measure them and other people can see them. So if my, if my hands start to rattle, if my breathing rate changes, if my heart is pounding and my skin is flush and my pupils dilate, okay, that's an activation. That's an emotion. And I might, I, 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 you can observe it. And sometimes if I'm having all of those, I don't want you to see it. Mm -hmm. That's like the double double thing that's happening right? right but the way that i'm interpreting that is private and that's the world of feelings so emotions are observable feelings are private i like that yep and so i can see your emotions mm -hmm. but i need to ask you about your feelings and we we go are we talking about feelings hell yeah <laughs> that's the whole neurochemistry thing the interpretation of that is really 
the, the, the content of your inner life. Yes, thoughts, but the way you're thinking is creating an emotional and feeling response. And so that's really, to me, where the good stuff is. And so mostly internal for mastery of self, but there is, right. of course, yeah. an external component via mm. emotions. And I think when you have that sort of mastery of self or you are close to it, I think when you're able to hit that honest serve down 1920, and even if you hit it out, that it's not as haunting. Whereas if you just yeah. hit a muffin and you have no chance on defense, because yeah. at, at this rate, if you... It's coming back as a kill. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's right. no question about it. And I yeah. think that you will always be left wondering what happened if I would have hit my serve down the left side line that he's a killer at instead of just playing it safe and hitting the float serve, which yeah. is the most dangerous thing you can actually do. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's been very apparent in my career, like the exact example you guys are talking about. I remember I was in my third, my last indoor contract playing in Puerto Rico, uh, where our good friend Carly Lloyd is now. Oh, yeah. Um, What's up, Carly? And I, uh, I was back serving, and one of the veterans on the team was kind of taking okay. care of me, like big brother guy. Uh, I came back after, uh, I guess, I think it was match point. And, and then I came back to the bench after, and he's like, I learned a lot about you right there. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I always look at what people do when, when the game's on the line and the service, on the service line, you know, or what, what they do on the service line when the game's on the line. And I was, and that like stuck with me for a long time because every time I had the game on the line, I was like, what am I gonna do? Like, I gotta decide. Do I wanna like fluff it, keep it in? Which like I had done at points in my career before that where it's like, uh, I don't want to miss it because like college or like, you know, indoors you have a coach and they have an expectation or maybe the serving sub is like, I can't miss this. It's my one job is to keep it in. But then in that moment, I was like, no, like I'm going for it in those moments. Mm. Like, I decided from there on out, like I'm going. Make, you, made, not, you made it easy then. I just made it a, a full on decision from there on out. Okay. And then I remember I I've used that many times. I've hit really good serves in really big moments. And then the Olympics came when I wasn't, I was a sub, right? I showed mm -hmm. up late and I'm standing there at the Olympics with the ball in my hand, first server. I'm never first server on my normal teams, but Jake was like, you're serving. I was like, <laughs> got this ball with the rings on in the stadium <laughs> to start the match. And I was like, you know what to do. And I just like gave myself the full like clearance, you know, just to like go miss it if you need to, but you're going for it. That's like, okay, awesome. Let's go. Yeah, And, like, that's kind of repeated itself over the years to me. And it's just, like, one of those things where I just had to make the decision. And, and whatever happens after that is, like, you can live with it because you made the decision. It wasn't, it wasn't the, that performance or the, the outcome that mattered. It was that you made the decision and committed to it. I, I tell you, like, this is what I love about – I'm not interested in the, in the medals, right? Um, it's cool, like – Winning is awesome for a lot of reasons. It pays bills, it like further contracts, you get more time to do the thing if you want it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not pushed out the back, you know, if you don't, you know, if you underperform or yeah. perform poorly. So, but the thing that I love is what you just described. But most, most of the time we're, we're enamored by the, the excellence mm -hmm. of something or the, the podium type of celebration. It's about that time for the Waya Kea 
Waterbreak, the very company that has been keeping us hydrated all season long for the past several seasons on the AVP Tour. Yes, we are back hanging out with Waikia, and they're my favorite waters, not just because it sounds kind of fancy with its volcanic water, but it's made of ocean plast. All those water bottles you see, they're made of 100% post-consumer recycled ocean-bound plastic. What that means is that each bottle helps to remove the equivalent of five bottles from ocean-bound beaches, waterways, and cities. So when you're getting hydrated, you're also helping clean up the beach in a pretty sweet way. They also have these refillable aluminum bottles that are awesome. They're great to take on the go and reuse. My mom, every time she's in town, she takes one of those and just reuses it over and over and over again. And it's recyclable. It's recommended to be used 100 times or more, which, I mean, I've used it about 100 times or more. And they have still and sparkling, big sparkling water guy. They're also committed to giving back, which is awesome. It's local to those in Hawaii through the Kakua Initiative, from monthly drive to support the local food bank and nonprofits, to direct support of individuals and organizations. It's in the continental U.S. as well. Via partnerships with its ambassadors such as, you may have heard of him, Clay Thompson and his Thompson Family Foundation. You got Aaron Judge, may have heard of him. And the All Rise Foundation, Miles Garrett, might have heard of him with his water boys. So YK, they're partnering with the big dogs, and also they're partnering with Sandcast. So if you want to get some water, the best water, by the way, some Hawaiian volcanic water, and work with a company that helps take the plastic out of the oceans, that gives back, use the promo code SANDCAST, that's all caps, SANDCAST, online at yakea.com, and that'll get you 20% off your order. All right, so that's SANDCAST, all caps, at yakea.com for 20% off. Stay hydrated, my friends. This show is brought to you by Bartender in a Box. Yes, guys, we've been looking for an alcohol sponsor for a long time on this show, and now it's time to drink outside the box with Bartender in the Box, our new sponsor and the official margarita and official Mai Tai of the American Volleyball League and AVL on IO and Sports. And for those on a volleyball player's budget, we got you. Sandcast and Bartender in a Box invites you and 12 of your friends to enjoy just one box of their premium bar quality libations for around 20 bucks. That's right, 12 premium mixed cocktails out of just one tasty package, whether it's pregame or postgame. We got you covered. Celebrating that beach volleyball victory or styling sunset, or maybe you lost in the quarterfinals like you planned to, so you could drink your bartender in a box while everyone else still is playing, burning calories, all that stuff. Bartender in a Box is available in a growing number of flavors, stores, and markets where you shop. But if it's not on display, just ask for it as it sells out quick. The libation experience and price are worth it. So shake your box today. Have a margarita. Have a Mai Tai. Enjoy the show. We've got some really fun news for y'all, and that is that Sandcast and Volleyball TV, or VBTV, whatever you want to call it, we are now partnered up. So the Road to Paris series that I record after every... Olympic qualifying event or every other, that's now going to start featuring video highlights. Instead of just the still pictures, we're going to have actual video highlights. So it's going to be more like an actual volleyball highlight show. So instead of just still pictures, you're actually going to get to see what's going on on the field of action. And in return, we're going to start promoting volleyball TV and you get 20% off your volleyball TV subscription when you use the code SANDCAST20. Now this is case sensitive. So SANDCAST is all caps 20. And that's the numeral 20. So it's Sandcast, all caps, 20. And you will get 20% off your VBTV subscription. Now, a lot of you guys who are listening to the show, you're beach volleyball super fans. And I absolutely love that. I love you. I love you for listening. I love you for subscribing to VBTV and watching. 
So if you already have your subscription, when it comes time to renew, you can use that code or you, you could honestly cancel and then renew with your 20% off if you wanted to. So again, SANDCAST20, all caps, at Volleyball TV. That'll get you 20% off. So I'm stoked to be partnering with VBTV. It's just been such a sweet thing to have for the sport, to have like all the volleyball you could watch in one spot, or at least all the international volleyball you could watch in one spot. That's indoor, it's Italian league, it's even the Big Ten indoor. You get all of that 20% off with our code. So go and watch your beach volleyball today at Volleyball TV. But behind the scenes, the athletes that are on the path of mastery have made a fundamental commitment. And those fundamental commitments are to be their very best and to get right to the messy edge, examine who they are in those moments, try to hold on, right? Yeah. And what and what that does is it, it pushes the edges out even further if you can stay in that messy edge a little bit longer. And then in that, you, you get to make some honest commitments, decisions first, and then commitments. So it's a fundamental decision and an honest commitment that is part of the path of mastery as yeah. well. And like you said it as good as I've have heard anyone say it. Like, this is what I do. Because yeah. you've made the fundamental commitment to it. Yeah. I like that. The messy edge. Oh, it's so messy, isn't I, it? I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's so messy. Yeah. And it's very messy. We yeah. mentioned it earlier. Bronze medal matches are tough uh, to oh, get yeah. up for. And were you oh, working? Oh, to get up for. And I think that they're so, they're almost like so dangerous. You're because either, it's too high. Well, it's all or nothing. Right. You know, like from a from an output yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Well, it depends you're, too, right? Like if you're Carrie and Misty or April, it was gold or bust. Whereas right. like if I were to get to that Olympic gold medal, it'd be like bronze would be my gold too. Like yeah, I, I just, I want to get one of them. Like yeah, any right. of them would be great. Yeah. But that's that's the image that I was thinking of because I remember talking with Carrie and April about them playing for bronze. Mm -hmm. And April said it really wasn't until we were down 12-9 in the second set that we were like, we got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Like, we can still medal at the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be gold, but they're nine points away from us having no medal. And then April, sort of, they kind of found that next level. Yep. But I'm I'm curious. Were you working with them? And mm -hmm. that was Rio. That was Rio. Yeah. What? Uh, and you can reveal as much as you want. What did that conversation look like? Because that's a quick turnaround from losing in the semifinals to then playing for bronze. And there's a lot. It's a it's a mess. Oh, I'm yeah. sure going on up there. Yeah. I mean, I, without details being, you know, like, and I would never share the locker room conversations right. Right. like that would happen. But um, in general, as a theme, to be able to go from fully expecting and being positioned well to be gold, you know, potentially silver. They were almost expected mm -hmm. as, as good as they were. And then to have a bit of a shocker and then find themselves in like fighting for that turn. You're, you're nailing it. Like what you're going through is a bit of a grief process, a, a death of a dream and doing it in a fast cycle. Right. Now, if we could play this back and create an alternate version of it, if you do not care about the outcome, it's not hard. Right. This is not hard. Mm -hmm. If you are committed to the path of unlocking and being in the messy edge and figuring out and looking for like, 
how to express your talent at the highest level as consistently as you can. Now you got another chance, but but we're human, mm -hmm. and the outcome is electric. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and so um, it makes it harder when you really care about the outcome. I know from from a science perspective what happens to the brain when you can let go of the outcome and be fully present. I know from an emotional and a psychological standpoint, it is so much easier when you can treat the outcome as noise and the signal is the task at hand and just make a fundamental commitment to that, similar to your story. Mm -hmm. But that's very, very hard to do. And even the smartest of us will say, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it, got it, got it. But then why is there, why is there grief? Why is there trauma? Right. Why are we upset? Right. Right, because we really do care about the outcome. And so I think it's an um, earnest challenge that is difficult to do to intellectually understand, to let go of the outcome, get to the, no get to the signal, meaning attending fully in the present moment. But then when you don't get the outcome, like you ought to be okay, right? That's not the case for... How and cool that, is that? Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny because we were talking about Kent Steffes earlier. And him and Karch Karai were the heavy, heavy favorites to win the 96 gold medal. And there was a lot of political rivalries going on with <laughs> Sinjin Smith and his partner, Carl Henkel. And everyone was saying that Sinjin and Carl didn't deserve to be there in 96. They played each other in the quarterfinals. And all of a sudden, Carl, who was in law school as a clerk, hadn't even been playing four-man. They're up 12-8 over Karch and Kent. In an old school side out match to 15, and Kent was like, We were doing everything we could, and he's stressing out, he's getting tense. And then he said, Finally, out of the timeout, I just looked up at the stadium. And I thought, What a beautiful day to be playing beach volleyball. We have 10,000 people packing the stands, people are going nuts, American flags everywhere. What an opportunity. And he said, Once he called it the shift. Who is this? Kent Steffes. Kent, yeah. And he said, Once I made that shift, everything started changing. And it's not that they went to this superhuman level and, and Sinjin and Carl played worse, but he said that he just sort of let it go a little bit. And they ended up winning, I think, 17-15 in what's regarded by a lot of people. It's called the match of the century right. as one of the greatest matches of all time. But it's interesting to see how Kent had that same shift and 20 years later, exactly, April Ross had that same shift in the bronze medal match and once you just get that letting go, which is almost impossible mm. at that highest level, right? Then you let it go and get one of the best results. And Carrie still calls that bronze medal one of her favorite achievements because of the sheer difficulty of bouncing back from something that had never happened to her. That's She'd right. She'd never lost an Olympic match in her life. I know. You gotta wow. respond yeah. to win. Yeah. I know. It's crazy, it's crazy. That April, like in terms of her career experience, let's just say for Olympics, she got to experience going to a gold medal match and losing going to the semis, losing, going, and then going to the bronze and having to win it, and then going to the gold and winning win it. it. Yeah, at, at the end, that was the right. cherry on the top, yeah. which is pretty cool Like in terms of just her perseverance. And, Very. And then she got to end it right, up, right off into the sunset kind of thing. Not that she's done. No, she's not really. Like yeah, I, I loved working with, I got to work with Carrie and Misty, mm -hmm. and Carrie and April, mm. and um, they're like Carrie's awesome, mm -hmm. and then Misty and April, oh my God, are they forces? <laughs> like, they, like you just think about those combinations 
of those temperaments and the physicality of both Carrie and each partner there. Yep. You know, it's cool. Those three alone, like if I, if I just took volleyball players, not men or women, based on who I've been around and what I've seen, those are probably the top three that I look at to like kind of they set the bar. That's really cool. Like, Physicality uh, no or guys, psychological? I don't know if one of those guys would make my top three. Wow. Um, more more psychological, competitive. The game too, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, certain pieces of it that I would just love to steal from any of them. I mean, the way Misty could read but just, yeah, what was exactly. happening. I want to walk into Diggs like Misty. Like, why do they keep shooting it to her? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually car, cross court rips, you know. Right, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. The way that so one of her um, genius abilities is deep focus, mm. and so she's watching a different game, mm. and so definitely that I'm watching, but maybe the, most, even yourself included, mm. because she's got such deep focus over such long period of time that she's watching the frames in between the frames and I'm just seeing the frame, right? You know, frame one, frame two, frame mm -hmm. three, you're doing like frame one, 1 1.4, 1 1.6, 1.8. And she's like 1.1, 1.2. She's seeing all these little bits of novel information to predict something that is happening, yeah. but none of, I can't. And some of us will be like, yeah, three right. moves before. And she's just standing there and she's just like, Oh, I'm there it is. Way. Yeah. And you're like, Damn. It's like Kyrie Irving going down the lane where he's like, how, how does he, looks like he's walking, but he's in a full sprint and he just, you know, guys like that where it's just like, they look like they're walking versus another basketball player. Like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was one of my favorite things to watch just yeah. from the, the, how she was able to be that much of a butterfly and like it was rad. Yeah. That's, rad. that's actually what I was picturing when I was saying that. Yeah. Like a few things I'd like to steal is like, Misty's just like calm and just efficient and moving everywhere, just like with ease. And a force to be reckoned. And like, like oh I, yeah. very hard to move any of them off a block. It wasn't like, like oh, I'm following. I don't mean physically the block, but like right. to hip check them emotionally, psychologically, physically. It's like they kind of had a Kobe sturdy. Shaq vibe. Yeah, they're uh, really Misty sturdy in that way. Yeah. yeah, right. Like where it's just it wasn't one like oh Misty like. Stay behind the beast, carry and like let yep. her, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't the other one like I'm always follow you. It was like these two alphas and like we got to make it work together, however we can. Yeah. Kind of felt like that That's at cool. least from my perspective. I learned a lot from them. Mm. Yeah, it was a, a great part of my life. I'm curious yeah. how much because have you read Range? By, I have. I yeah. love that book. Yeah. And of course, after I read it, I started noticing it a lot in my life because I've just been sort of a dilettante in a lot of things. I played probably six or seven sports growing up. And when mm -hmm. I played, started playing beach volleyball, I started seeing the basketball skills pop up here and the baseball and the swimming and the golf and all this. And then with beach volleyball, I play, write, podcast, coach, commentate. And I think everything sort of helps one another. You work with athletes of, and not just athletes, high performers across the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you learned a lot from Carrie and Misty, but how much are you able to pull from a guy who's jumping out of a spaceship and volleyball and snowboarding and skiing? I feel like you, you've you just been able to, like you can take something you learned from volleyball and apply it yeah. to Ricky Fowler. Yeah, I think so. I th um, it's the, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm about 25 years in, into this science and art and it keeps getting more interesting to me mm -hmm. because of the 
the different varied experiences that I'm included in. And um, I'm, I feel so honored to be included in them. But the, the commonalities are striking. And so I spent two years working in an F1, with an F1 team, okay. which is nothing like you would imagine from American football. Right. Okay. So, however, in F1, you've got one of the gnarliest risk takers on the planet, the driver, and some of the brightest, most brightest minds in the world um, that are risk adverse, trying to communicate how to solve something. <laughs> okay. So that's really what's happening cool. is that the whole thing, in my mind, and this is not a knock on um, all of the engineering that goes into make the car, but um, post practices that the athlete is trying to convey from their ass and their hands and their ears and their eyes what it is that they're feeling while ripping around at 200 plus to 40 miles and like that that sensation to somebody that has never really ever felt that right and so you've got these linear logical kind of in one camp and then one person that is responsible to try to communicate their own experience inside the confines of um, uh, the language of the engineer. And that tension is rad. So how does that show up in football? Well, you've got coaches that are trying to understand what's actually happening in the messiness of the, of the play and are trying to either observe from up top, be on the, dot, on the, on the sidelines, but you've got to gather information from the athletes. And it's the gathering of information to try to synthesize, to try to make sense, to play it back. They're teammates, right? To play it back, coach and athlete, to play it back. And the coaches that aren't inquisitive miss so much information. But the right. coaches, when an athlete, like if you're the athlete or you're the coach and I'm the athlete coming off the sidelines, the best coaches in my mind are say, say like, what are you seeing out there? This is this is breaking over here. That, 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 or I don't see anything. It's messy. I can't figure it out. And so there's that combination between uh, of both partners to try to solve something that is very difficult to solve. Mm-hmm. It is both tangible and invisible. That that I never would have been able to articulate it that way because I would have thought it was more about the the craft. But to me, it's more about the relationship, and the relationship is what cuts across every sport. And it first begins with the relationship with yourself and then with others, then with experience itself, and then with mother nature, and eventually we're gonna have real relationships with machines, but that's right. coming. <laughs> right. And so this relationship arc is the thing that keeps pulling me, the similarities like, oh, this thing is about relationships. And so anyways, that's the commonality. Huh. That's, it's so fun. I love that you said you know, you're 25 years into it, and you're still learning. It reminds me of this Neil deGrasse Tyson quote where he said, as the area of my knowledge increases, so too is the perimeter of my ignorance. I mean, how smart is where, deGrasse Tyson? And like, one of the smartest yeah. dudes in the world. And he's like, I still don't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know. Matter of fact, <laughs> right. it's getting scarier of what little, how little I actually know. Yeah. Is it the Dunning-Kruger effect or the right. principle? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good principle to, <laughs> it's a very good to take a look at. Yeah. But as far as... Uh, the first rule of mastery. What'd you learn about yourself writing this book? Because I think the process of writing a book, because going from a two to three page story, and was it Harvard Business Review you said, mm-hmm. yeah. to a 200 page book, it's a whole different animal. Um, what'd you learn about yourself throughout the process? One is I like, 
I like trying to get ideas out of my head. Mm -hmm. I think that's, um, it's a, it's hard and I like it and I'm not very good at writing. So I, I learned that, um, I didn't know this, but people that I spend time with are not shy about asking for help. So in elite sport, it's kind of built on like, Hey, what'd you say? Yeah. You know, what's, what's I want, there's a purpose, there's a mission that is so bright and clear. And uh, most elite athletes are like, Hey, can, can you, can you show me that thing? You know, like, is there a way that I could just focus a little bit better? Or like, what is that confidence thing? Like, how do, how do I master confidence? Right. And so there's a, it's not the, I've got it all buttoned up. I'm never going to show that I don't know unless it's maybe a competitor, you know, everything. Right, yeah. but like there's a wanting to get better. So they ask for help. And, and so I needed help to write. And so I'm so stoked to, you know, Kevin Lake, who's a great writer helped to do that. So that's one, like that felt really good. Mm -hmm. The second is, um, the editor, when I, when I sent the first manuscript, um, he sent it back and he's like, you're nowhere in this. So I don't like to start sentences with I, I don't like to say I in any sentences really because nobody does it alone. And he's like, right, I understand. Like, you know, the Zen parable that you're working from, Mike, like we're all interconnected, wonderful, <laughs> but this is bad English. <laughs> Who is the we? Right. <laughs> is it the mouse in your pocket type of thing? Like, who's the we? Like, you need to explain this. Hey guys, try here. Just wanted to let you know about the launch of a new program called the Inner Game of Volleyball. It's a program that was made to positively impact mental wellness and performance, something that is huge not only in my career, but in my performance off the court and my mental wellness as well. Uh, what you will get with this program is lifetime access to the 22-day training program. You'll also get access for the next year from purchase date to any other programs that they put out, weekly live Q&As, and a downloadable workbook. To get this offer, which is a great discount uh, for a limited time, you can use my promo code TRI or click the link in my bio on my Instagram page at Triborn. But I highly recommend the program. I helped create the program. There's a lot of the stuff in there that I use and have used throughout my career, and I think it's just amazing for anyone whether you're a weekend warrior or you don't even play volleyball at all, it's good for everyone. All tested by me and other uh, really reliable athletes. So go ahead and, and do yourself a favor. Sign up for the inner game of volleyball. Aloha. And so I, it was the hardest part was sharing the parts of me that were honest in my experience of, the fear that I would feel throughout my life about being judged or critiqued and not being good enough in the eyes mm -hmm. of others. Mm -hmm. And so putting myself in there in that way was actually harder than I thought. And so that, that was another one. And the other one is there's a lot of good science that supports this idea of FOPO being one yeah. of the greatest constrictors of one's potential, but it hadn't been collated. It, ha it hadn't been pulled together. Is collated the right word? Curated. It hadn't been curated properly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go Trojans. The two of us, I know. Actually, come, let me come back to that piece. It's like, I wish I would have figured out how to stick with it. Like, I wish that 
my story that I would have shared with you is that I got frustrated and irritated and I figured out somehow a way to stay in it just a little bit longer because I feel like we could have worked it out. Yeah, yeah. And I left too early. Well, the set, the setter in the room ended up becoming the best setter in the world. Yeah, how about so that? He Thank was, you. He was interested in something. He was interested know? in something. <laughs> Just not me. <laughs> That's very clear. But yeah. I wonder if you leave and had an effect. I don't know. Like, Well, it's also kids, right? Maybe they had a fear of your opinion if you thought their question would be stupid. I, I know. There, I just wish I was a... I wish I was... I wish I knew... I wish I was a little bit more like the reclining dragon. You know, like I'm, I'm more of a reclining dragon now than I am like... Mm like breathing fire everywhere I go. Right, right, like I right. know I can breathe fire and I know I can snort just a little bit of warmth and, you know, just kind of give a, I, and I was all fire breathing, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have the range or the dimension that I wish I would have had. Hmm. And so um, I didn't get to finish I that part of the story. I remember my uh, friend who, I think it was Madison McKibben, who, t who told me like, that was the first time I heard your name. I don't remember him that saying, saying that, that part of the story yeah right. <laughs> he was oh, actually yeah. intrigued he was like this guy came on he told us about how he like Imagine worked that. with the mind of this guy who jumped out of space and i was like oh that sounds dope yeah <laughs> and then i think i found your podcast from there what? so it kind of worked that's fun yeah. yeah now i feel better yeah. <laughs> now we're here full circle there yeah right full circle <laughs> i remember yeah. when or when i first saw the um title of your book i was it kind of felt might be the wrong word, but like surface for you, because like I'm like, oh, this guy knows everything. Like, you know, he's so deep into this mastery path, and I was like, fear of people's opinion. Like, I feel like that's not that big of a problem for me. And like, mm -hmm. so I wasn't like as excited as I thought I would be about like reading it. And as I dove in, I was like, oh, oh, I really? Get it. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, now I now understand. I see why he thinks it's he's yeah. Right. You know, I definitely I don't oh, just for cool, other man. people like. That's how it kind of came off at first, where I was like, oh, I think maybe he's trying to be a little more, like, basic for, like, the general public. I don't know why that's what popped into my well, head. You, you, but you, now I'm, like, convinced. I'm like, holy shit. Like, this is definitely present That's all awesome. The time. You know, I didn't tell my peers and my friends, really, that I was writing a book. And I think I, I would rather do something than talk about doing something. Even though talking about doing something can create some sort of pressure to get it done like yeah so and and nobody does it alone so i, I do <clears throat> i fundamentally need a tribe to kick my ass mm -hmm. and love me up and like and so i can do the same with them too and at the same time like i didn't talk to my colleagues about it and um and w some of them who know me really well and they're like that's not the book that is n they just looked at the title they're right. like that's not the book i expected from you what, what what do you mean a people's opinions is the thing? <laughs> just open it, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, just open it. Yeah. And so then I, I, it was an accident, but I framed it this way. I said, listen, if, it, if this was the first rule of health and I said, stop drinking poison, then they go, yeah, 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 that's it. Right. If I'm drinking poison every day, the first rule would be to put the poison down. Right. And I think this is the poison that I was sipping on. Yeah. And I think most of us are sipping on because our brain is supposed to find the danger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the dictum of the brain. Scan the world and find the danger. Mm -hmm. Are we next to a cliff? Is there a snake out there? Is that, is, that, is that person over there a friend or foe? And the real danger in modern times is, am I being accepted? 
Right. And so, and, and it's heightened with all of social media and this, that, and the other. But well, I was going to say too, like, I feel like adolescence is, a, is the most heightened part of that in our lives, usually. Like, I mean, what kid doesn't care about the opinions of the others in his high school or whatever at, at a young age? Like, I feel like we start with caring a lot about other people's opinions. And as we grow up and gain the knowledge and tools, then we can kind of, we're able to break out of it. I think. Maybe. I, yeah, I, that's what I think. You know, I, I don't know if I would, if I didn't do the work with a psychologist on this stuff for me, and I don't think I would have done the work unless my wife was like, hey, you, you got to go get some shit together here. You know, this was um, 2012. Mm. Wait, hold on, 2002. And um, she's like, you got it. We need to do some work together if we're going to stay married. Mm. And I was like, holy shit. And I go, no, no, we got this. She's yeah. like, you've said that before? There's <laughs> 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 a longer story there that we could do a part two. But um, so if I wouldn't have done the work, then I think I wouldn't have known this, how just how constricting it is. And um, our brain is just trying to figure it out. And safety is the dictum. And belonging and being accepted by other people is a big driver for for us. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm stoked that you didn't like it at first, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then found to appreciate it. Didn't like it. That's not didn't, my word. Yeah, right. Hey, yeah. simple is is usually much better for me in yeah. terms of reading. That's yeah. so good. Well, yeah. Uh, well, thank you for writing the book. Oh, thanks, um, mate. I think yeah. it's it's a hugely important book, especially right now because you mentioned that yeah. if we had a tribe of three mm -hmm. it would have been decently important back then but i think now everyone on some level is famous oh, i love Instagram, that i love your thinking media. here yeah and we get feedback all the time and we're wondering you put a picture out on facebook or instagram you're constantly wondering well how many likes is that going to get what is that feedback going to be so i think that this is it's a hugely important book and you mentioned that maybe we can dive into a part two later i know that Oh, yeah. We're running out of time here. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I'd love it. But thanks for having us on. Wait, before we go? Yeah. I would love to hear both of your guys' shaping or definition, if it were so formal, of mastery. When you think of mastery, how do you articulate it? Because you guys are definitely on the path. I think for me, what it comes down to, my basic rule of thumb is what am I getting, what really excites me, and am I doing that thing? And I've just followed that since I moved to California in September of 2015. And it's resulted in me living a life I would have never dreamed of. And so that's just my one basic rule of thumb. And I just keep sort of chasing that. That is awesome. <laughs> it's been fun. And so we didn't open this part in the book up about like, know your first principles. Mm -hmm. So that's a first principle for you. Yeah. And can you say it one more time? Like, how did you articulate that? When I wake up, I look at the things that excite me. Yeah. And I just try to keep doing those things. What about the things that like are mundane, boring, very dull, but are required to live the quote unquote I good think, life? So I get really excited about the mundane stuff because that's what's required to be really good at the stuff. Oh, so you you stitch those together. Yeah. Yeah. So because yeah, a lot of people would look at me going on a morning walk or reading or meditating as somewhat mundane things. Yeah. But I love that stuff. And you've got a daily internal practice, mm -hmm. meditation in, yeah. in particular. Yeah, I do. I try to do five minutes of box breathing in the morning. And I just I keep a running list of things that are sort of batting a thousand in my life, where surfing 
getting in cold water, going on a walk with my son at sunset, going on a walk with my wife at sunrise, and mm. just all these things, and then writing, podcasting with this guy. Just like if it excites me, and if it if it's led to like every time I do it, it ends up being a good day. I just try to do those things. <laughs> you make it sound so simple. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, get that done in writing, please. Yeah, the second rule. Make it really simple. We'll work on the second rule. Together. That's great. I love it. Yeah. How, how about for you? My. What's the question specifically? How do you articulate? Or I mean, if you were to be so bold to say, I have a definition of mastery, but like, how do you articulate what mastery is? Yeah, I think for me it starts with authenticity because mm. I've realized like the things that make me happier. I'm, I'm basically trying to chase like things that fulfill me, like whatever I think is the is going to leave me at the end of my life looking back and being like, yeah, we're good on on all that stuff. Like it wasn't about what you achieved during that time. It was how you did it and, and were you trying to do the right things and leave the world a better place and all that stuff and I noticed over the years that me being authentic and like really having a good idea of who I am and then basing my actions off of that has made me um, just like a better person in the world. I feel like I'm contributing in a better way and then the success tends to, like I'm being more successful it's because weird, I'm I know. being like that. I know. Like, yeah, it's, it's so like the good, more you though. give, the more you get kind of thing. The more you... It, push someone ahead, the more they look back and grab you and pull you up kind of thing. And you're like, oh, I wasn't trying to get successful or rich, but like it keeps happening. I'm like, I'm going to lean into this one <laughs> and just keep trying to like snowball all that and surround yourself by people that, that kind of are on that same path as you. And then I don't know. Now I'm like listening. I'm in a podcast with the guy whose podcast I listen to all the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I'm yeah, always yeah, in, yeah. in your so podcast fun. being yeah. like, Oh, I wonder what, I wonder what I would say in Gervais' podcast, or like, how would I react to that or answer that question? The, that is and now I'm sitting here, I know, staring at you in your studio. It's like, <laughs> I, don't know. Okay. I don't know, but I'm gonna lean yeah, into all this. That's, <laughs> did you read that? That's the good life, or like you've organically sorted that path out? I've experienced it. I it's think. so clear. It's, <clears throat> it's, it is so clear what both of you described. And I love the simplicity of how you just made it very clear, which is like, look, um, I just realize if I have these sets of ways that I go through life, that it just really works. Right. And it's not about achievement. It's more about purpose. Yeah. And that is awesome. dude. Like, <sighs> I, I love like you guys are a great team, like a really good. I see why it works. The, the seven I, years of team chemistry. I like to hear that because yeah. I just made him my coach. So I'm really, I'm really ch challenging this uh, relationship. Yeah. yeah. I had, so I had a, um, was a world-class um, action sport athlete. And his mom was also a legit manager, like managed uber talent. Mm. And I said, hey, how come you're not, you know, you're, your mom's not managing you? And he said, oh, I don't want to fire my mom. <laughs> Okay, so then I, I share that with you guys. Like, yeah. So how how are you going to navigate the hard conversations when there's so much kind of interconnected? Like, that's, that's have you had huge. that conversation? So a little bit. I mentioned it, and it's been huge in my mind because I'm I'm very. I've even noticed that something I want to back off on is kind of micromanaging my team because we hire our coach. We hire, you know, I put the whole thing together, and um, I was just like thinking, 
I, I don't want our relationship to change in terms of our business and like having to even hang out with them too much is yeah. gonna be a problem, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> but then I just kept coming back to like, I think I can trust this guy to like, just be honest with me. He can trust me to be honest with him and we can get through whatever, you know, comes up. If, if he's annoying me, I'm annoying. Of course my coach is gonna annoy me. Yeah, like that's, that's, yeah right. that's happened. You're gonna say the wrong things. Yeah. But like, I think this guy is a good enough listener First of all, like just listening to me, mm-hmm. so you know what I what I'm feeling, and then basing your actions and words off that, I think that's going to get us through, and that's why I'm able to commit to it. I'm like, I think he can listen well enough. That's really if cool. I can listen, and we can just be real about it, we'll be all right. But like that's hard, and you can't do that with everyone, especially th- like your siblings or like, you know, I don't like mixing pleasure and business. Yeah, and friendship. Yeah, so it, but we'll it, see. it's on. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. And it I think it sounds like the right m- um, mechanisms, though. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think it's helpful that we have the same interests at heart. We both want him to have as much success as possible. Mm-hmm. And so if if I don't think I'm doing the best job possible, I'm going to seek help, say, hey, like, this is what I'm seeing, try struggle with. I can't get through to him. And our, it's so funny to call Nick Lucena our assistant coach. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean you know, yeah, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. yeah. and yeah. But I can call Nick and say, hey, Nick, here's the film. Here's what's happening. What do you think What do you think it would be a better way to get to try? And I think just our, I mean, we have so much respect for each other. We've been friends and business partners for seven years where it is almost this sort of sibling relationship where I can sort of, I know sort of where to push him because he likes being he likes trash talk and mm. he likes competition mm. and i'm comfortable enough with him where when i see him get lazy on a dig i can say you know you need to clean that one up mm-hmm. and he knows it mm-hmm. and i just need to remind him and just make it audible and then i think he likes being challenged mm. um and so and we have good communication with each other which was something that was sort of lacking one of the things that you guys might find some value in this i, I did it with a national team is just going through the exercise, how do you want to be coached? Mm-hmm. And that that's for, for you, for both of you, independently right. say, this is how I like to be coached, public, fast, you know, or no, pull me aside. Like it's, it, I want it quiet and mm. thoughtful. And look, you might think that I, like I can handle it, but I actually, I just need a little bit of like, hand, or it's like, no, get straight to it. Don't beat around the bush. I want to hear. And so just having that conversation yeah. for, because both of you are going to coach each other. Mm-hmm. Right. We like to think that just the coach coaches right. the athlete, but the athlete also coaches the coach and yeah. like on communication and style and ways to look at things. And hopefully the athletes make the coach better and the coach makes the athlete better. And having some of those conversations like, okay, how are we going to do hard conversations? Mm-hmm. And have you heard of pre-mortem? The, yeah. The pre-mortem exercise. So pre-postmortem is like after a death, you right. go through it, right? So pre-mortem is if the worst thing w- uh, were to yeah. take place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing it pre, we're doing it now. But let's imagine worst case scenario. And you know, somebody who's read The Secret or some of that other mumbo jumbo cosmic bullshit, sorry, <laughs> you know, like, would say, no, you can't think about those things because they might happen. It's not how this works. But if you have a conversation about the worst shit that could take place and you're doing it in advance, you say, right, if that were, okay, we're agreeing that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Okay, what are the series of things that would take place prior to for that disaster to take place? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so it's a pre-mortem exercise. And then you can start checking those things off and working them instead of leaving them up to chance. Like, 
sleep or hard conversations or you don't tell me the truth or I'm afraid that you're not going to like or you're, that you're going to fire me or right. that there's money on a bonus on the line and I don't want to screw up. Whatever the weird stuff that can come up is and you knock those down in honest conversations and even practice them, it's, I think it's a really powerful process. Yeah. You know? I love it. And even just how do you want to be coached? Because this is – I've coached clinics in lower level, but just even that question, I wouldn't even have thought to ask that. And, and so I just took – that's a huge takeaway. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. 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 And that's awesome. Tell you. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You will tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then when it gets fiery, you can also know that maybe he doesn't want to be barked at because then he goes into a shell. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he needs to be barked at to, for him to realize, that, oh, this is important. Yeah. But you just figure that mechanism out. And then, then it also gives you another tool, which is like, hey, you know how we talked about wanting to be coached? This ain't it. Mm-hmm. Got you. Right, right, right. You know, it just sends another, like, oh, we've done this work. Yeah. I'm missing. Yeah. Or I didn't understand it this way. Okay, cool. Mm. All right, but I need you to understand something right now. Okay? And it is. Yeah. Right? And so you can, it's just dimensional in that way that it, your work, it, everything is very personal that thought that business is not everything is personal because everything has a relationship to it. And if you can, if you can work well with the relationship ahead of time by treating it with dignity, because it's going to get to the messy edge. Yeah. And I think we have a competitive advantage Mm. when we do it that way. I like that. I agree. And so if, you know, if this is our last year doing the podcast, you know how bad it went. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. It's so good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Uh, you but I'm excited. Great. Yeah. Good yeah. things ahead. And, and thanks again so much for the time, for having us on. It's always such a treat no, to chat great. with you. This yeah, is Mark. great. Yeah. I thanks, appreciate man. you guys. And the great thing yeah. is that this is the first rule of mastery. So you left the door open for a couple it, another it books. Is, it oh. is open. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sequels. I know. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Awesome, Doc. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. man. Let's in the water one day maybe i would like that, might that. Be fun that would be great all right yeah i mean if i get invited to one of those three uh kelly slater <laughs> wave pool uh, <laughs> right. sessions you've been to uh i won't be mad i would like to go surfing that'd be fun that's me plugging <laughs> right on, but next one